In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. John 2, verse 15. Anger emanating from Christ. How angry do you get when someone rattles your chain? For me, it depends on my day, but I have to admit, with four youngsters in the house, I was on the brink when I had things I wanted to achieve and the children had other ideas. But if something happened directly to my child to upset her, if a fellow teammate in gymnastics pulled a face or launched a kick in one of my athletes' direction, or a parent chided my daughter for asking a simple question about the child they were about to babysit, I'd see red. I'd righteously proclaim my anger or irritation and lose all the British reserve and politely state my case. If turning over tables and waving whips can be called polite, Jesus saw his father's house, the temple where God dwelt, that housed the inner sanctum, the tabernacle, being used inappropriately. Money had to be changed. Animals for the sacrifices had to be bought. But the commercial racket was unacceptable. Christ's motive was no one should make money because pilgrims and the faithful were coming to the temple to pay homage, to make atonement, to get closer to God. He was angry that they had the gall to do this to his father, and he saw red. I wonder how he'd feel on entering St. Paul's Cathedral in London to be told that the entry fee was £14.50. Folks are usually very good at leaving donations to the upkeep of such magnificent and historic places, but to unabashedly charge entry to a place of worship seems as criminal to me as what was going on in the temple all those years ago. Let's keep our sanctuaries holy and the wrath of Jesus at bay. Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNinney. My guest this week is Linda Pilkington, who wants everyone to learn to read for pleasure. Well, she's got a captive audience here, so will be t- preaching to the choir with me, but stay tuned if you've run out of ideas on how to encourage your children to choose reading instead of other activities. And while I've got you, I'll be talking about the big dance event here in London last weekend, the Lady Killers, bird territorial activities in our garden, our Queen's 60th year of crown wearing, and an excerpt from my book, The Sociable Homeschooler. Hobnobs are the biscuit of choice at the moment, a delicious combination of oatmeal and chocolate. So put your feet up and join me for a fun-packed hour of spring in this most royal of diamond jubilee years. The clock sprung forward in America 
this weekend, well, last weekend, which means that we're only five hours apart for the next couple of weeks. Doesn't affect those of you statewide, but I'm broadcasting an hour earlier here, and we're right in the middle of Lent. So far, so good. We have our Lenten program on a Wednesday morning. St. George's is really good at fitting the Bible study in where a Eucharist is already happening. I know I shouldn't be saying this, but I can because I had nothing to do with the scheduling. But it suits me because I like going to Stations of the Cross, which is usually on a Friday evening at home. And say no more about Friday evenings. Our Wednesday program includes stations before the 10.30 Mass and discussion afterwards. So by going a little earlier and staying a little later, with a fortifying cup of tea in between, we get our obligations out of the way in one fell swoop. And this week, one of my little listeners, a homeschooler herself, had major back surgery. Well, she didn't have it this week. She's listening this week, hopefully. She had it last week to correct her 78% scoliosis curve. She had metal rods put down her spine from T5 to L3 during a five-hour surgery. Did you know that they pack bits of bone between the vertebrae to make it think the spine is broken? This little trick encourages bone growth, which will eventually encase the metal rods and successfully fuse her spine. The visual image is absolutely horrific, actually. She was out of the hospital and walking around with the help of good pain medication and a walker within five days. Truly amazing. Good job, Hannah. I'm shouting it out to you. Keep up the tough physiotherapy. It's no fun, is it? We'll keep praying for you here in England. And blessings to you too, sister Rebecca, mum Melissa and dad Hans. I'm thinking of all of you and sending kisses and love across the ocean. And now... Before I get totally wrapped up in my current doings, let's go back a bit to see what I was up to in the 21st chapter of my homeschooling book called Where the Wild Things Go. My younger son's spending more time at college and the girls and I are exploring a different kind of husbandry. With Simon and now at college a couple of mornings a week, the girls were ready to step up their volunteering hours at the animal shelter to keep our name alive among the strays of Richardson. With a science co-op already successfully in place, we embarked on a few seasons of hands-on experience in husbandry. We didn't exactly raise a heifer to sell at the state fair, although that might have been less trouble. But what we did appealed to all of us, well, the few that were left, which is what homeschooling the McNenny way is all about. We took in wild beasts, orphans, waifs and strays. We were a soft-hearted household, and without due diligence, I could see our resident pets packing up and leaving if we allowed every abandoned animal access to our baby bottle feed-on-demand ministrations. I refused to be swayed by the tears and drew the line in indelible ink at helpless, cute, blind puppies and kittens that would, without a shadow of a doubt, be brought home to be hand-raised, fallen in love with, and kept. We informed the shelter staff of our guidelines, which they shrugged off good-naturedly, since they had a couple of nursing cats who were pushovers for feline abandonees and adult staff who went totally gaga over newborn canines. We soon found that the city shelter considered they were doing us a favour by providing live projects to occupy all those empty hours we don't spend sitting in classrooms for eight hours. 
the young motherless creatures we were offered outside the domestic realm were numerous. Being just as much as a softie as any of my children and my husband, I settled on a compromise since I knew I'd be the responsible party if it ever came down to life getting in the way, no matter how many papers they'd signed to the contrary. I agreed to opossums, squirrels and raccoons only because they had to be released back to the wild once they were weaned. No feathered friends or belly slitherers. All our hearts were stolen by these beastly babies. I wouldn't be telling the truth if I said otherwise. But at least with city regulations, we lessened our chances of ending up with a menagerie of wild animals. Also, I thought, <clears throat> the first few squirrels were wild from birth. Even with their eyes barely open, they instinctively recoiled from too much human contact, which was good news because part of our 30-second training included the charge to keep handling to a minimum. So far, so good, until Pecan and Hazelnut came along. Yes, we named them. They were adorable and wobbly. Their scrawny long tails hampered them severely in the early stages of walking. They staggered along the branches we'd slung across their cage for balancing practice and stumbled about in a half-day stupor for most of their first few weeks. I found it hard to imagine that one day they'd be as agile as the squirrels that raced back and forth on our fence. They chatted at us continually every time we walked past their cage, sociable little beings, and when they were hungry, they went acoustically ballistic. Did I mention they craved human interaction? It must have had something to do with imprinting. You know, the first thing they clap their eyes on when they open them must be mum. All thoughts of academic school evaporated with these two charismatic house guests. The girls made formula, washed bottles, and kept an eye on the clock for feedings, although the babies let us know when they thought we should be offering liquid nourishment. When they weren't at co-op or volunteering, they had the squirrels in their rooms bonding shamelessly. Pecan and Hazelnut loved the attention and ran up and down our bodies in rigorous training for the day when they would go forth and multiply, chase along fences, race each other in branches, run up and down rooftops and make cosy nests for the spring a long, long way away. When I noticed they were scampering around the house as if they owned it with nary a worry about messes or damage, I gently suggested to my besotted girls that the time had come to say goodbye. The squirrels cocked their heads at me from the top of the curtain rail and the girls let out a gasp. But you can't just let them go, they'd get lost, wailed Malia, who knew the releasing rules, a large parcel of deserted land deep in the heart of Texas. Hazelnut scratched her ear. How will they know what to eat, asked Paris, diligently in charge of the nuts and produce each day. Khan cocked his head to one side. And what about water and wet nests, asked the ever-practical Malia, responsible for cleaning the cage every day and replacing the sodden bedding. Khan began vigorously washing his face. They can't possibly manage on their own, they both put in. I looked at all of them. Well, not yet, anyway, they amended. The squirrels ran down the curtains and onto the girls' outstretched arms. That year, we broke the release rule, and instead of letting them free hundreds of miles from home, we mistakenly let Pecan and Hazelnut into our back 40 to keep a familial eye on them. We lived to regret it. Each year, they returned to their place of hand-rearing, to their home hearth, or more accurately, to their chimney, which happens to open up onto their home hearth. Our dog noticed that we had residents in the smokestack before we did. Of course, I didn't know they were squirrels, 
No, he didn't know they were squirrels. He was a really silly schnoodle who hadn't inherited an ounce of sense from either of his parents, a bright poodle and an intelligent schnauzer. He just heard scratching, banging and tumbling in his house and went on guard by the fireplace until the babies were weaned and ready to leave their tall, narrow nest. Like everything at home, Pecan and Hazelnut's safe eviction with their young became a family project. If we block up their exit before all of them are out, they'll starve, this thought went to, came from Paris. Then they'll die, said the realistic Simon. And smell horrible, chimed in Malia, who remembered the stench of rotting rodent, the year of the dead rat in the wall. Simon had the bright idea of running a two-by-four plank from an outside eave to the patio in front of one of our living room windows. And I've got to go on a break, but I'll continue. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for you to be a rock star. Get ready to rock with Rock Talk and Craig Deswalt and learn how to achieve rock star status in your industry every Tuesday afternoon at 2, 1 Central on Toginet.com. Craig Deswalt is the creator of the Rock Star System for Success. Craig will share easy tips and strategies on how entrepreneurs and businesses can use outside-the-box marketing strategies to stand out from their competition. Each high-energy show will feature interviews with celebrity rock stars as well as business rock stars. For more on Craig, the show, and the Rockstar Marketing Boot Camps, check out the website, CraigDuswalt.com, so you can learn how to be perceived as an expert and celebrity in your field, so more people come to you to buy your services and products. Then, get ready to be a rock star with Rock Talk and Craig Deswalt. Tuesday afternoons at 2, 1 Central on Tugginet.com. Second chances. We all deserve them. And we are all worthy of them. Second chances. With your host, Midge Noble. Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central on Toginet is like coming home to warm, fresh-baked cookies, a hug from Grandma, or an enthusiastic greeting from your dog. Second chances. Hosted by Midge Noble, a licensed professional counselor, is affirming, warm, genuine, validating, and thought-provoking. Second Chances is a place to be heard, a place to laugh, a place to cry, and a place to be seen. For more on Midge and Second Chances, check out MidgeNobleSecondChances.com. Then be a part of a show that will change how you think, how you feel, and what you do. Give yourself the gift of Second Chances and see where it will take you. So take a deep breath, open your heart, open your mind, and join host Midge Noble for Second Chances. Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. 
just have to wait and see what happened to the squirrels until another part of the show, or maybe another week even. My guest this week is Linda Pilkington, who was a struggling reader destined to become an illiteracy statistic until her fourth grade teacher stepped into the fray. Linda learned that reading was fun. She's since turned the written word into a career and owns an online business selling greetings cards and book club products. CityCastles.com formed the platform to launch her dream of one day writing, promoting, and publishing a book. Linda's story of perseverance and faith in God is one only she can tell. She's developed tools for teachers and parents to bring books alive for their children through narration, role-playing, and out-loud readings. With her encouragement, you too can have your reluctant reader saying, reading is fun, I want to keep doing it. Welcome, Linda. Hi, Vivian. It's good to hear from you. Well, good. I'm glad you're able to make it um, this morning, probably a little bit earlier for you than it is for me. It it probably is. I, I get all confused about time zones, so I have... I remember when we were in England, I remember the difference in the time zones, but it, it's quite a yeah. difference. Well, yeah, and it got messed up because um, you America sprung forward. Yeah. And I was right, I, before I even went online to check what time it was, I was thinking, okay, does that mean I do my show at 3 o'clock in the afternoon or does it mean 1 o'clock in the afternoon? You know, I, I knew it wasn't 2 o'clock in my usual spot, but um, I talk to my children all the time. So I several times during the week I said to them, Okay, what time is it there while you're talking to me? So they tell me just that's absolutely sure. So it's nothing an unneeded personal. confusion sometimes. Yeah, I know, I know. Just just leave the time. You know, uh, six right. hours. That's all I need to do. Yeah, no. Anyway, well, Linda, it's lovely to have you. Um, why don't you tell us just a little bit about your childhood? Because I know you have you you seem to have had a really sort of tranquil childhood as far as living in the countryside goes. So tell us a little bit about that. That part was tranquil. Excuse me. Up until the time I was 13, I lived in a house that was over 100 years old, which is considered old in the U.S. And it was on a small farm and down a lane and away from the world. And it was peaceful. And during the summer, the breezes blew through the woods and brought the scent of flowers in the morning. It was just um, really wonderful. But once later on, the well went dry, and so we had to move to another rented house in the country when I was about 13. But the old place had been our home. Yeah, yeah. Well, those kinds of things happen. In fact, we we live... Well, we have lived in our house all of our children's lives, and um, we're getting to the point where we're thinking we're going to have to sell it. And I keep on thinking, oh, wouldn't it be nice if they could, you know, take their, bring their children back to the home where they grew up? Yeah. Well, you know, it's not really quite as rural. I think if it had been a country house, I might have, you know, second thoughts about it because we're going to move into our country house when we come back because we're coming back in August, so... Um, we're going to take the plunge and do that, hopefully. <laughs> I don't know. A real change in lifestyles. I know, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. change change a little bit in, in our lives. And uh, and see, and a friend of mine said, what if you don't like living on a farm and out in the country? I said, well, we'll sell and move back into the town. I think she <laughs> thought that once I'd made that move that I'd be stuck. But I go, no, I'm not going to live anywhere where I, where I really don't feel comfortable. So When you have the choice. You know, you go where you're happy. Why not? Thank goodness we do. And so um, I had a school that I grew up in. 
And I, uh, yes, I did. I actually grew up in a boarding school, which was beautiful in the countryside. And I still long for the peace of that place, and I'm still looking for it. Why do we do that? Well, I think in my case, it was because it was so much a part of my personality. Um, I was a quiet child, an introverted child. And so that piece, I think perhaps introverts long for that more than an extrovert Mm-hmm. ever would. An extrovert could do it, but they'd need lots of in-town yeah. trips and, and lots of friendships and things going on because of their high energy level. But for an introverted child, it was wonderful because I used my imagination so much as, as a younger child and always, all my life. Mm-hmm. But because of that piece, I could think, and I think that's what introverts most like to do, that their own thoughts are something, and and their creative thoughts are something that are important to them. And I think maybe I left before I was quite ready to grow up. I was 13, and kids are in that mixed-up stage where they're not sure, you know, whether they're a child or or a grown-up. And Mm -hmm. so that might have been part of that that insecurity. And so what do you do now to find your peace? Do you live in the country now? No, we live in a, a suburb of Denver. Mm-hmm. Aurora, and uh, I, I walk, um, and there's a wetlands area, and, and you can get away a little bit from people, but never like that, you know, never. There's always somebody around. Mm-hmm. Just like seeing the stars at night in the country, you can see the stars at night oh, in the yeah. country, oh. and not so much in the city. So, mm-hmm. But, but, but um, you can see mountains, can't you, from where you are? Yes, we can. We're not, you know, in the distance, but yes, yeah. we can see them beautiful. Yeah, you know, so you have that. a nice, nice horizon. Right, and you yeah. can get up there when you want to get up there, so yeah. that helps an awful lot. Yeah, that's lovely. So um, you said you had difficulty learning how to read as a child, and I know that with my son, he, he really didn't want to read. He was just much more interested in doing his very active boy mm-hmm. stuff. And so when I suggested I read to him instead of, you know, I didn't suggest it as instead of, but, you know, he really was missing out on some lovely books. So I read to him while he did his activities. He loved that. But um, some children really can't read for a reason. I mean, they have they have um, a physical or, you know, some kind of language impairment that stops them from being able to read. So, you know, although on the one hand I say to parents, don't worry when the time comes, they'll want to read, you know, when, when they need to. Um, what do you, you know, um, why why do you think some children who haven't got a physical disability, why do, why do you think some children just find it harder to read than others? I'm not sure. I think that some of it has to do with um, maybe their parents don't read a whole lot and they haven't yeah. seen it demonstrated as being a wonderful thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they're so busy or so involved or our technological age has their minds going a hundred different ways, yeah. and, you know, and there's no rest for it. And, and so many school activities and other activities, and you have to have a little leisure mm-hmm. in order to get into reading and really love reading and find a special world there. Mm-hmm. So I suppose a lot of children at schools today are reading just to get by. They're reading what they have to read in order to be able to do their assignments, but they're not actually going outside the classroom and picking up a book and reading it just for pleasure. I think so. Um, I've known friends my age who, in college, they did all the reading. It was like all the reading they ever wanted to do in their lives, 
from there on, on they were done with it. it they had yeah. other things to do, and they read only what they needed to read, you know, the yeah. paper, that type of thing. But, um, you know, it's a sad, sad thing. It would be mm-hmm. so wonderful if we could spread that love because there is so much to learn, um, just so many things that you learn just from reading fiction. Mm. Um, but you said that your parents told stories, and um, it, it didn't sound as though you had um, some of those um, difficulties that you suggested, why children don't read when you were growing up. So why why did you find personally reading so difficult? Well, I think part of might have been that my vision was starting to go a little bit when I was oh. a little girl. Mm. I can't remember when I started wearing glasses. I fought it <laughs> to mm. the nail. But... Um, Perhaps my vision had started changing and I wasn't seeing things. Well, yeah. I don't remember. It, it's been a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I think I was a very shy child and it was hard for me to, to be corrected by a teacher and all that mm-hmm. type of thing. So I would just kind of shrink back from learning yeah. and, and that stops all learning when you do yes. that. Yes, yes. And you had this wonderful fourth grade teacher who just opened up a whole new world for you. Tell me what she did. She was a lady who wasn't touchy-feely at all. She was very bold in the classroom and, and rather demanding with the children. That was a while ago. But she had a belief that all the children who were in her class were going to read. And so when you came into her classroom, she used all the tools to make sure you had the skill, all the tools of phonics, spelling, um, mentoring, student mentoring with better readers helping the ones that were having difficulty. But her biggest talent was reading out loud to children. Mm-hmm. And she was an actress. She could dramatize all of it. She could read the narrative so it all just pulled the story out to you. I think mm-hmm. that was her biggest tool because we all loved it. No matter who the kids were, boys or girls, we hated to see that book close after the 20 or 25 minutes that she spent reading because mm-hmm. it was such a, a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what I tried to do with Bridging the Book, mm-hmm. uh, the companion book to my um, kids' book. Mm-hmm. And it's the idea, my vision was of having an event for kids. And when I speak of event, I mean something that could be homeschoolers or some reading group could do themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, my idea was having it be a bit like a radio play. Families mm-hmm. used to gather around their radios and years ago and listen to different dramas and, or comedies on the radio. They were seeing nothing. It was all being done in their imagination, and it was exciting, and it was fun. And I wanted it to be like that for kids, like when they would come to one of my author's events at a bookstore. Mm-hmm. In that case, we would do it with an actor reading parts from the book and a narrator reading the narration from Bridging the Book. And we would go through Arthur. When we do it as an author event, we go through Arthur Collins and the Three Wishes, just the first part of it, to give them a taste of what it's like to have a wonderful adult reader demonstration of that, the narrator, and then kids playing parts or reading parts from the book. And then we tie it all together and and go right through. With homeschoolers or reading groups, they would take that book themselves and maybe mother's groups would get together and um, have their kids have a special event together. And then the mothers could do the adult reading parts and the narration. And the kids 
play the parts, and they just dive into that, bridging the book. They go through it as well as they can, as if they were doing a sort of radio play, using their imaginations, everybody involved. Even if somebody doesn't want to be involved, they can be part of the audience and use their imagination and be part of it. It's fantastic. We've got to go on a short break now, Linda, but we'll be back in about 90 seconds. Okay. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Parents, if you feel overloaded, overworked, underappreciated, and seriously stressed out, the Parents' Plate is here to help you. The Parents' Plate with Brenda Nixon, Tuesday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on Toginet. It's time to build stronger families through parent empowerment, and that's what the Parents' Plate does. The Parents' Plate understands the busyness of life and balancing child rearing and other commitments. Brenda Nixon will be talking to noted experts and authors on all issues, from teething to teen driving. Brenda Nixon is a nationally recognized speaker to parents and child care professionals and author of the award-winning The Birth to Five book. From Fox 4 in Kansas City to schools and synagogues to businesses to bookstores, conferences to churches, audiences rave that Brenda engages, educates, and encourages. For more information on Brenda and her books, check out her website, brendanixon.com. The Parents Plate is loaded with information and affirmation. The Parents Plate with Brenda Nixon. Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. The Mary Beth Wells Hour is a talk radio show where we reach out, reach deep, and talk about topics of substance. We'll cover points of interest, such as World War II and the Holocaust, the Vietnam War, the planets and the oceans, skydiving, rock climbing, and much, much more. Join me every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time as we delve into and discuss fascinating subjects. It's a program to pique your interest for sure. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. I'm talking to Linda Pilkington, who believes that children who never see the fun in books aren't likely to read for pleasure. So, Linda, we were talking about um, your book, Bridging the Book. And before we um, go on, you know, and, and talk more in depth about that, I think we need to talk about your book um, right. that you've written, um, Arthur and the Three Wishes, um, because that that came first, correct? Right. Yes, and that has a that has a story attached to it, which um, I'd like you to tell us. And um, then you you came up with the idea, and I'm, I suppose your whole journey was like a journey of. Um, you know, sort of gentle stepping stones as you as you moved forward through um, what I think was a pretty t- tough sort of um, several years trying to get your book published and where you ended up with it. So tell us about your book, After and the Three Wishes, and how that led to bridging the book. 
Well, Arthur Collins started when I saw um, an article about a book contest, and that was mm-hmm. through Disney's books. Now, I haven't seen that contest lately. I don't know if they're still doing it, but it was for a first novel. Mm-hmm. And, of course, at the time, I was busy with the company. I wasn't thinking about writing a novel yet. I was putting that off until I felt more secure or, or something. I don't know. But I saw this. I decided I wanted to do it. I had 72 days to write this get it in by the deadline for the contest deadline. And I sat down and I thought, okay, I have nothing here. (laughs) Where do I begin? So I went back to my website where I've always had a serialized story that is where my products come from. The serialized story, the illustrations in there um, are also the pictures that are on my greeting cards and Christmas cards. So I went back there, and I decided I was going to write about a little girl that is in that story. Her name is Gwenny. Well, I started, but it suddenly turned into Arthur Collins, who was Gwenny's cousin, who I'd barely heard of before, and he stepped out, and he took over the book. Mm-hmm. And you had asked once uh, where Britain came into it, why, why I ended up in 6th century Britain, and it's because that's where the great Arthur was, the legendary Arthur was. And, of course, they have a relationship that is implied in, in the book, that the time travel back that Arthur Collins makes from from 21st century Colorado to 6th century Britain is made because he's made three wishes and, and because he's been he's grown up on, on stories of the legendary Arthur. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, he was named for Arthur. His mother loved stories of Arthur, the great Arthur, and the the Knights of the Round Table. So when her sons were born, she tried to name the first one Lancelot, and her husband wouldn't have it, so she named him Lance. The mm-hmm. second one, she didn't say anything about it. She just named him Arthur. Yeah. And so that was the connection. Uh-huh. And, and so you got the book written in 72 days. Right. <laughs> Which is and it, it was... Yeah. Up early and to bed late, and every single day I wrote. And, of course, it didn't win the the prize, but I had that book. Then I had a beginning, and I'd finally thrown myself into writing. Mm-hmm. And so from then on, in between the rest of life, I kept going back to Arthur Collins and the Three Wishes and doing all that I could to change it and make it better. And, of course, the book never ends. You can always make it better. But I see it as uh, the first of three in a series, at least three in a series. And, um, of course, with Arthur returning to Britain to the 6th century from time to time. And adventures there, and uh, with Merlin and and the whole cast of uh, Margace and and Morgan and all of those that were connected to the Arthur story. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so you wrote this book and um, had a, lots of um, struggles getting it published, but finally. Um, because, by the way, I, your package arrived today, just oh, like for the show. So I ripped it open and I had um, and I, I looked through. And thank you for the cards and thank you for the books. Um, at what point did you get it published? And then bridging the book came along. Uh, in I always pick some really off times. I published. Finally, made the decision that we're going to make the plunge and do it ourselves. Ebooks. Um, have been coming on for quite a while, and I thought, well, eventually I can do that, but I want a 
hard I wanted in a hard copy for Yeah, you wanted something you could hold and look at and treasure. Right. <laughs> and in books, you know, that's uh, they have a great hold on people, yeah. I think still. Yeah. And so we did it in the autumn of 2008 just as the economic meltdown came in the United States. Okay. And so all of this uncertainty suddenly happened mm-hmm. and uh, my husband um, was let go from his job, as so many were. And uh, so that was extra uncertainty, but we just kept going ahead. And um, we finally, we because of the money situation and our finances were impacted, we had so many plans with City Castle's publishing of what we were going to do. Not huge plans of publishing others, but some other publishing besides myself, and we just couldn't do it because that happened. But we waited for a while. It took us a while to get our websites up for the book and for the um, publishing company in, in addition to the com, And, um, you know, all sorts of trials and problems that happened with that. I had a person that I thought I'd done due diligence with about doing the website, that he was a good designer and everything, and he disappeared with my money. <laughs> and so, an extra complication. We kept moving forward, but we did not actually launch the book physically until 2010. And uh, we had a party for it then, and then we just kept on doing book readings. And uh, finally, just uh, this fall, we did – we launched Bridging the Book. And so tell me what Bridging the Book is about. Bridging the Book, it does a lot of things. As I said, it's my author's platform. When I do an event, I follow Bridging the Book, and I do it just the first part of it. And we have the the actors, we, we have the interaction between the audience, mm-hmm. um, we have the narration, we have kids either from the audience or kids that we've picked do the the role playing and it has an impact i've you know we've done it and i've watched it and i watched those kids in the audience i tell a little bit of my story i saw i saw the kids faces change as i told the story about how when i was young and i couldn't read i knew that this was a problem and i was scared i didn't know what would happen but i knew it was wrong that i couldn't read and that i was behind my friends and i could see a look on some of those kids faces and i thought i'm touching them and when the the actor read from the book, when he read the different, the book, Bridging the Book has readings from the fictional book. It has narration that ties it all together. It has the kids doing scenes from the book. Mm-hmm. And when the reader, that marvelous reader, when he brought those pages to life, I again saw all kinds of people, the intense look on their faces, and then it just it was a wonderful experience to see that what I had imagined coming to life and, and seeing that this was another tool. And then, of course, as I said, it's for homeschoolers or for any reading group that would want to dive into a book that way and plow through it, you know. And then afterwards, you don't have worksheets. You don't have tests. You have jumped into the book. You have immersed yourself in the book, and that's the experience we want people to have. And then, of course, later on, I wanted as my major author's platform, and I wanted as a competition. I want groups of kids to relay race this book across the nation using bridging the book. 
Now, that will take financing, so I don't know when I'll be able to do that. But all of those ideas came together, and I think that they were God-given. I mean, I kept saying, okay, I have these things. Now, how do I do it? When I first had Arthur Collins, and I had the vision for Arthur Collins and the Great American Book Race even then, but I thought, how do I do it? Well, it took me a couple of years to sit down and write Bridging the Book, the way to do it. So... um Listening to you, and I haven't actually sat down and and had an awful lot of time to spend with the book. Is this something that could be done with any book? Well, yes, but I'm hoping that nobody steals it until I get a chance to do it widely with my book. You know, I was just thinking that when you read any book, if you you could bring it to life with people, um, you know, um, with narration. And for narration, what actually, what do you mean by narration? Well, in bridging the book, the narration is just the part that brings the book together. It it um, it it tells uh, the background situation mm-hmm. and brings uh, the chapters that are read from the book. It sets up the story first of all and tells it what what it's about. Then it gives a book reading. Then it gives another narration that again sets it up a little bit. Then they go to a performance mm-hmm. and pretty much that way through the book. Mm-hmm. So the narration, is that, is that um, is taken, lifted out of the book, or is this additional stuff that you wrote? It is pretty much taken out of the book. Okay. Uh, it, it gives a, a little bit different. It's not, it, not totally from. Um, okay. And so with the children who are doing the role play, would they have had to have read the book first? No, I don't think they would. Of course, my hope is that they would have, but no, they wouldn't have to. Um, they could, so you could take, take part this to of- an audience that has never read the book and just and incorporate, you know, sort of include an audience, right? Yeah, and, of you know, people so- who have not, just to get them interested, so that they could um, go out or hopefully go out and buy the book. That's the hope, and and the hope is that if if they're in a reading group, if they're being homeschooled or whatever, if they don't read the book first, it's going to give them the, des- the desire to know more. Mm-hmm. And so, how long? Ooh, I've got a minute left. Okay, but you're going to come back for the next uh, for for a little bit in the next segment. So, um, how long does it take to do this? I mean, can you do this in a couple of hours, or does it take several weeks, or? Well, you'd probably do it in sessions if you were going okay. to do the entire bridging the book. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. probably maybe three sessions and uh-huh. um, a total of five hours. Okay, okay. So we're going to go on another um, short break for about 90 seconds. And when we come back, Linda, I want you to give us your um, website and um, tell us where we can go and uh, find you and tell us just a little bit about um, your company as well, um, City Castles. So, um, oh, I've got 15 seconds. All right. Um, I'm talking actually to Linda Pilkington, who is um, a great believer that all children can find books fun if um, they're shown a special way to do so. So um, here's the music and I'll be back in about 90 seconds. do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. 
It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Evermore, people have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. These are the words of Dr. Viktor Frankl, the inspiration for the movie Victor and I. That's V-I-K-T-O-R and I, movie.com. And TalkSense Radio, The Meaning Connection, with host Mary Similuka and frequent contributor Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. More and more people today are discarding their quest for money, possessions, and things, and are instead beginning a serious quest to find meaning in life. Until now, these discussions were historically in the hands of priests, ministers, and scribes, then to philosophers, psychiatrists, and psychologists. Now, these deep discussions are where they should be, in the hands of individuals, on the air, with you. Talk Sense Radio, The Meaning Connection, with your host, Mary Similuka, and frequent contributor, Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central on Toginet.com. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for you to be a rock star. Get ready to rock with Rock Talk and Kirk Deswalt and learn how to achieve rock star status in your industry every Tuesday afternoon at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Craig Deswalt is the creator of the Rock Star System for Success. Craig will share easy tips and strategies on how entrepreneurs and businesses can use outside-the-box marketing strategies to stand out from their competition. Each high-energy show will feature interviews with celebrity rock stars as well as business rock stars. For more on Craig, the show, and the rock star marketing boot camps, check out the website, CraigDuswalt.com, so you can learn how to be perceived as an expert and celebrity in your field, so more people come to you to buy your services and products. Then, get ready to be a rock star with Rock Talk and Craig Deswalt. Tuesday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Druggynet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Druggynet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, Linda, tell us where we can go to find uh, your website and to find out more about your book, Arthur Collins and the Three Wishes and Bridging the, bridging the Book. I want to say Bridging the Gap, but it's Bridging yeah. the Gap. <laughs> um, citycastles.com, and it's just City Castles, and that came from um, the pre-revolutionary uh, a home a man's home is his castle. That came from uh, one of the pre-revolutionary people in America. That mm-hmm. that was part of the fight against when the British were uh, uh, putting um, soldiers into the houses in America. And he said, "A man's home is his castle." So you know that's a, a phrase that's gone on forever. And and I feel that our homes are if we have some nobility in them. If we have ethics, if we have some honor, then they are a castle more than any king or, or nobleman could have. And so it's citycastles.com. And on there you can see the the site for Arthur Collins and the Three Wishes and City Castles Publishing. They're both shown there. And uh, the book site, you can just think of Arthur Collins and the Three Wishes.com all ran together, and, and that's yeah. how you can get there. Yeah. And um, you can get um, Bridging the Book on there, too. And you have a um, an electronic book on there? 
we we have. Um, are you looking at City Council's publishing or? Um, I I don't know where I was looking. Yeah. But I, think, I think I can kind of toddle around and get just yeah. about everywhere that I need to go. Gwen, Gwendolyn, Gwendolyn, Gwen, you Catherine, Gwen. Catherine, Catherine, you, yeah, Catherine's <laughs> Castle. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. That, that's where the original story came from and okay. where Arthur Collins and the Three Wishes stepped out of and, and became something. But it shows, you know, it shows all the different, on the top of the website, it shows Catherine's Castle, and that's sort of my writing exercise, too, and my inspiration for the, the products. And then at the bottom it says City Castle's Publishing, and then it has Arthur Collins and the Three Wishes. And Bridging the Book is right on the the City Castle's website, and, and so is the book club notebook that's there. So you can get everywhere from there. And we do have an e-book. We have it through Kindle, and uh, that's Arthur Collins and the Three Wishes. We haven't done bridging the book yet. Oh, okay, okay. Um, well, um, Linda, thank you so much for joining me today, and um, you've given us such a, such a lot of inspiration as far as um, how to read or a different way to read your book, Arthur Collins and the Three Wishes, and um, a wonderful way to encourage children uh, to open books and not think that you know words are just little black marks on a white piece of paper that right. really don't have anything. Once you get into it, when the story's good, oh. There's no putting the book down. No, and you're doing such a service for homeschoolers. I mean, you really are. I love the show. Oh, well, thank you so much. Well, um, you can go to citycastles.com and you'll find Linda and her amazing story of perseverance and faith in God. And um, Linda and I talked this afternoon, this morning for her about the tools she's developed for teachers and parents to bring this book alive for their children through narration, role-playing, and out-loud readings. I really hope our conversation this afternoon has brought you one step closer to hearing your reluctant reader say, reading is fun, I want to keep doing it. And also, I encourage you, and I'm sure you're going to have something about this racing the book, I mean, you know, sort of passing it on. I know your little letter to me said, pass the book on to a reading group or to your homeschool group. And um, I hope that um, your vision eventually um, becomes a reality and you're able to do this um, globally. It would be absolutely fantastic. And with the electronic um, assistance, I'm sure it's a possible goal and I'll be looking out for it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Linda. It's been a pleasure. Have a wonderful weekend. Well, you too. Thank you. Bye. We'll we'll want you back in America soon. Oh, yes, I'll be back. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Goodbye. All right. right. Well, that was great, and I have um, the pleasure, after I finish the show, of being able to go in and, and read her book and, and have a look at what we were talking about. And um, talking about reading, actually, my friend Gretchen Rowe from the Calvert School wrote and told me about a new webinar that she's hosting called Teaching Time Management Skills to Middle Schoolers. And she stressed that it also had applications for younger children, too, as is usual with homeschooling materials. Um, A couple of weeks ago um, on the webinar, they had 200 attendees um, on this, and it was such a huge success that Calvert decided to offer a reprise. And for information, if you're interested, I've added it to my blog at thesociablehomeschooler.com, so just the name of my show.com, so you can click and link really easily on there. And Gretchen will be offering sound advice on managing your school at home using the same tools busy executives use to manage large organizations. She's a mum who educated 
visited her six children at home, so she knows what she's talking about. And she talks about how you can set schedules based on goals, creating a time bank as a reward system, motivating students to teach to reach daily, weekly, and monthly goals, and how Facebook, YouTube, and other social media can help or hurt students who learn at home. So go to my website, thesociablehomeschooler.com, take your notepad and questions to this free webinar. You do not have to be a Calvert student to do this. Just go on and get some tips from Gretchen and from Calvert School. It's well worth it. March the 20th. That's next Tuesday at 10 o'clock in the morning, Eastern Time. So go, go, go. Support my friend and support Calvert School and support homeschoolers. And my daughter, Malia, was here last week talking about homeschoolers. She's a graduated homeschooler, thank goodness. And she came in on Thursday and stayed until Monday. They were given Monday off after working really hard all weekend. And we made her lunch every day. And she said, I wonder what my lunches would be like if I lived here instead of in Lee and went to school. Then when her father took her to the station on Monday afternoon, she was walking past the police station at the bottom of the road and said, this is what it would be like if I lived at home and went to college in Lee. I wonder if she's trying to tell us something. She's almost finished school and I have only one more month's rent to pay and then I'm working on my month in advance and my deposit and she's got three weeks before Easter break yesterday when I spoke to her she said I was in class and I was daydreaming about my Easter break I'm thinking what do we do that's so special except cook and eat while we always go on outings though so anyway I think she's enjoying being mildly independent I know my Texan and I are enjoying our partial empty nest but I mentioned that while she was at home she worked really hard and she wasn't working at Starbucks but she was working at a large dance exhibit at Earl's Court my blue-eyed cowboy and I went to move it on the first day and as soon as we walked into Olympia I knew I was done for the throbbing beat of music is too much for my brain how many hours are you on stand I asked my daughter but before that we had an hour to wait at the front of the main stage for her dance number gradually the area filled up and she'd reluctantly given me her iphone to film not that she didn't trust me with her phone but she wanted me to be able to watch her dance not focus on getting it recorded but that's what moms are for and there were several schools before hers and when she came on my eyes began to water i had no idea why maybe because she's so darn good and i had to watch it through a five by two and a half inch screen lucky for me though i got everything despite the cameraman in front of me whose head was prominently center stage then malia was able to do the impossible she captured fabulous stills of her in midair from my recording so if you go over to my blog site you can see them i posted them up there see i'm a proud mum. we managed to fit in a quick packed lunch after she danced and a picnic what we called it, a picnic on the concrete floor upstairs and then she went on stand and um her school had a really big stand, so there was more than just her on it. So there were several of them there. And they had, there were chairs. So every now and again, my um, blue-eyed cowboy and I would go sit down and pretend to watch whatever was going on on the screen. And uh, we walked around and around and around. And then when we thought we'd come to the end, she texted us and said, I've got to stay for another hour. So I don't know. We managed. We're, we're um, troopers. And I was exhausted. And all I'd done was walk a bit and have loud music. <laughs> in my face the whole day but anyway the next two days while she went and danced and manned the stand for a few hours we stayed quietly at home but on saturday we took her to see the play the lady killers which was amazing although she fell asleep 
And um, we were really high up in the theatre, in fact, the last row of the third balcony. But miraculously, we could still see the stage and hear the lines. The set was incredible, all revolving. Getting home was tough, though, with a child who, still at 20, would have loved her stroller. She hates being up past, like, 10 o'clock or whatever. But we got home and... um, this year, as well as having the Olympics, it's Diamond Jubilee Year 2, which I had already mentioned a little bit. Um, the Queen has been the Queen for 60 years. Can you imagine that? And our late Maybank holiday, which would usually be May the 28th, has been moved to the following week. And there's going to be a whole weekend designated just to Jubilee events. So we've got Saturday, Sunday and two bank holidays, the Monday and Tuesday. And um, there are going to be a thousand boats on the Thames taking part in the Diamond Jubilee pageant. And there'll be a Thanksgiving service at St. Paul's Cathedral on Tuesday the 5th. And a big Jubilee lunch on Sunday the 3rd where we, the people, are encouraged to have our own special celebrations. I've suggested moving our garden party. And I think everyone's amenable. We're such royalists. There are all sorts of parades. And there's a big thing going on called the Jubilee Woods Project. 60 million trees, not 60 million, 6 million trees are being planted to add woodland to England. And there are going to be 60 diamond woods of at least 60 acres each set aside and planted with trees. See, I like that bit. That's all that nature bit. So we're encouraged also to plant a tree for Jubilee. And um, talking about trees, the parakeets in our weeping willow are getting more territorial. They're running off the pair of magpies, whom I suspect used to nest in the part of the willow that fell down last summer. They've now taken to running off the squirrels too, as if there isn't enough room in the vast tree for other lodgers. Well, I've got to finish my show. I've run out of time. This Sunday is Mothering Mother's Day. It's called Mothering Sunday here. Looking forward to my champers. Let's hope the weather is nice. I'll be here same time, same place next week. So without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight. Our four children who are the result of that belief. I miss you three in Texas. The hardworking staff at Toginet Radio, my guest Linda Pilkington. And you, my faithful listeners, especially Anne and Lindell, Hannah, get well. Tina, Rosemary, Pam, Charlotte and many others who are part of my growing audience. And listen to Sandy Fowler of Heartfield Holidays and Ali Lapreet at the other end of today. So just stay tuned. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Numbers 62426. Doop, doop, doop. Doodle, loop. And I'm off now to a nursery to go buy some flowers. So I'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on